Before I get into the message, let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I pray that every mind and every heart be open to hear and understand your word. I ask you for wisdom, for guidance to deliver your message of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so loving God and loving others, that's the mission of our church. And uh, it's in line with God's purpose and, uh, and, and God's mission, which is the two greatest commandments, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and strength, and love others as yourself. And uh, over the last 18 months, we've been, uh, we've been discovering this, discovering what this mission of Christ has put on us, what it means to us as a church. And last year, our theme, uh, so it was 18 months, so last year, our theme was Reviving Christ. So more of a reawakening of the love of God inside of us. So reawakening to the love and to the truth of God's word inside of us. And uh, not to say that it wasn't always there, but last year was more of a recovery or a restart for a lot of people. There was a restart in 2021 for people to re-engage with God once again uh, in our church in particular. And, uh, and uh, it, it's, it's always going to be a lifelong process, but I felt like last year... Um, a lot of people re-engaged again with God, re-found their roots again in God, put their foundations back in Him, or stood on the foundation of Christ, which is really powerful. Um, and whether you've been in, on this journey or not, whether you've only just recently joined us or been here for a couple of years and you know about our journey, you know, the Bible says that we're one heart, one spirit, one mind. We're all one body in Christ. And if God's led you to here, to this church and has led you to be here, we are one spirit. You're a part of the family of God, and, and through your own journey, God's led you through your own process of reigniting your heart and, and opening your heart to the love of God as well, so you're more than welcome. Welcome to the family. <laughs> and this year, our theme and our focus is loving God, and I've been going through it uh, this year as well, and, uh, and really, it's loving, loving God and loving others because that really all it is is just the overflowing of God's love flowing in us through us and onto others, impacting others around us. And that fulfills the whole Bible. Receiving the love of God, getting the love of God, understanding the love of God, increasing knowledge on the love of God. Let that overflow. Fill up your cup until it overflows, and then you'll overflow onto others. And that brings glory to God, and it's such an amazing thing to see. And we're, we're seeing bits and pieces of that in our church, and it's all part of God's plan. You know, Christ adopted every person into, a fa into his family. He's adopted every one of us. Those that believe in Christ, those that have accepted Christ, they're adopted into the family of God. And God is transforming them, transforming us, giving us a new identity, no longer part of this world. Living in this world, but no longer part of this world. Complete, living a completely different life, completely transforming our lifestyle, our actions, as we're grounded in the love of God. Amazing. Paul the Apostle, his prayer, and read it a couple of times. Even uh, read this a few a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think it was, and uh, and I prayed it a couple of, a couple of times already. I read it a couple of times, but this really sums up the transformation of a believer in Ephesians three sixteen to nineteen. So I pray that you may, that I, that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in the inner being in your inner being through his spirit. So notice strengthened through your inner being. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width, height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled 
with the fullness of God. So this fullness of God is the very basis of our transformation, the fullness of God, God transforming us from the inside out. It's the love of God that's transformational. Understanding the love of God for us transforms us. His love overflows in us, through us and out of us, affecting every part of our life. And uh, John Rumi and John and Cena both read out of well, parts they touched on, Romans 12, uh, 12 2, talking about that, you know, God renews our mind and transforms our mind, transforms our thinking by the renewing of the Word of God in our hearts and in our minds. And when we're transformed, a new, a new perspective takes over us. You know, we see things differently. We gain kingdom perspective and, uh, and, a, and a change in view, a change in priorities and values. See, God's love strengthens our inner being. It strengthens our mind, our heart. It, it establishes us. It teaches us. It matures us. It grows us so that we may be filled with the fullness of God. And this broken world is getting more broken. You know, we, uh, there's so much going on. We can just don't even turn the news, all right? Just if you don't want to know, don't turn it on. Actually, you know what? Don't even look at your phone. Don't turn up any apps. Turn off all your notifications because, mate, it is quite bad. It is very bad. <laughs> you know, fear continues to grip the world. Fears of war and, and war. Natural disasters, disease, economic collapse. And it's the role of God's people to be that shining light in a dark, broken world. It's our role. God's called us to do that. God's called us to be the shining light in the community around us, living a transformed life of faith, hope, and love, unshaken by the world around us. Can you imagine being unshaken by the world around you? Hey, that'll be so good. You're living in this world, but you're not connected or you're not a part of this world. Your views and your perspectives are from another world. Amen? How good's that? How good is that? And we can freely share the love of God. We can freely show the love of God without any fear, without any insecurities bringing glory to God in all we do. And we bring glory to him by loving God and loving others. See, but this journey of transformation, and I mentioned this about a month ago, it's, it's a process. It's not a one step, you know, give me a ticket, let me pray the quick prayer, and I'm transformed. Hey, it's a day-to-day process. It's a daily process. Actually, it's mine and your responsibility to live out that transformation and to grow in the love of God and to grow in the knowledge of God. And, uh, and, and it's our responsibility to connect with him daily, grow daily, in, 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 you know, just have a relationship with him, engage with him, not drawing on your own strength, but drawing on the inner strength of the spirit of God that puts inside of you, your inner being growing and strengthening. See, we ourselves are broken people in a broken world, right? And we, can't, we can only be transformed when we're connected and when, when, when we're depending on God. And in our church, we aim to grow in that godly culture that, that we, we so preach all the time, together in truth and love, glorifying God in the process. See, and this year, as, as we've been on this team with loving people, I've been teaching from the book of Ephesians. So started back in February. I was having a look, and uh, apart from Easter and Mother's Day, I've been going on Ephesians, and I, I don't know, I mean... Usually, you know, it's a topic, God will put a topic in my heart, but this year, and I think parts of last year too, it's like God just wants me to go through the word. Don't, don't pick, nitpick parts out of it. And I thought, why God, why? But you know what? 
there are some sensitive top topics that are in the Bible that we don't like talking about. I'm going to go through that. There, there are some things that we choose to avoid and we prefer not to talk because we don't understand it. It's not, it's not clear to us yet and we don't know it yet. And, and you know, and uh, sorry, I'm talking on my behalf. Maybe some of you like it. And I, I love going through the word. I love reading the word. I love, you know, going, ooh, ooh, ooh. Ah. I, I love feeling that. I love, I love the truth. I want the truth. I want to be transformed by the truth of God. So I let it pierce my heart. But when you speak the word of God, sometimes it's, you know, well, you, you, you know, you sort of, okay, let me just touch this topic and touch that topic. But not in this church, unfortunately. God doesn't let us do that. We've got to go through it. We've got to understand it. We've got to understand it fully. Because the Bible says, as your knowledge for God increases, so will your love for God increase. Powerful, eh? Powerful. God is so good. Glory to God that he can let us do this and gives us the courage to preach the word of God in truth. So to summarize what, um, what I've shared from Ephesians 4. So I started in Ephesians 4. Um, so Ephesians 3 is more about your identity in Christ, the power of Christ, uh, what God's come to do, you being a child of God, being adopted into his family. Um, it talks about God filling you with the spirit of God in your inner being, which I just read that summed up pretty much chapter 1, 2, and 3. But chapter 4 goes into more of a practical outworking of our faith. It goes more, uh, sorry, chapter 4, 5, and, and, and 6 goes more into that. And... Um, <clears throat> It talks about how we interact with people, how we speak to people, how we talk to people, how we relate to people, what the role of the church is. And Paul explains that a transformed life loves and respects all people in the church, regardless of the role that you have, regardless if you're a pastor or if you just walked into the door and you're a believer in Christ. Regardless, we're all equal in Christ. And and Paul explains that, that the love of God when you have the love of God inside of you, you're not insecure. You're not afraid of your position. You're not afraid of what people think. You're afraid of what he thinks. You want to please God. And when you have the love of God transforming inside of you, Paul says that in the church scenario, hey, we're all equal. What's there to be afraid of? Here's the head. Here's the king. I'm the pastor, but never treat me like the king. Never, never put me in that place. I won't let you. <laughs> no way. Jesus, Jesus modeled it perfectly. That he, he came to serve, not to be served. So anytime a, a pastor demands you to serve them, run. <laughs> Don't turn back. <laughs> because uh, it'll be very quickly, uh, it'll very quickly go downhill from there. Just give it a couple of years. Believe me. <laughs> well, a lot of us know that. <laughs> And, uh, and he talks about transformed life, and he goes on in, in, in uh, chapter 4. A transformed life is no longer legalistic. doesn't need to be religious, uh, re- religious anymore. Doesn't need to be hold, doesn't need to hold a particular agenda or a particular motive or a particular idea. You don't need to bear that, uh, that anymore. There's no fear. No fear in love. The perfect love of God casts out all fear. Instead, they could speak truth in love. Not afraid to speak the truth in love. Not afraid to embrace truth with love. No more stealing or taking advantage of each other, but instead giving and trusting God. No more gossip, slander, belittling others, putting other people down, but instead being led by the Spirit of God. 
Then in chapter 5, Paul takes a, a little bit step further, calls every, every believer to be an imitator of God. Imitate God. Man, that's, that's a big call, eh? But that's when you need to depend on him. You need to trust in him. You can't depend on yourself. You can't pull it out of your own willpower. You won't find it. He calls you to walk with him, to walk in love, to walk in light, walk in holiness and walk in wisdom. And then we get to the next part, which is what I'm going to be talking about this morning. And this is where I left off the last time. In the next part, Paul gets even more practical. He starts giving a bit more instructions. He starts to step on your toes just a little bit, right? And he gives us instructions on a more personal and sensitive topics like marriage, family, work. Whew, painful. Please don't go there. Please don't go there. See, Paul sets up this next part by laying a foundation that submission and obedience to Christ should govern all relationships, all responsibilities, both in the home, at work, and even in church. And Paul starts off with this, Ephesians 5.21, this is how he sets it up. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's it. That's how he sets it up. Okay, submission basically means being unselfish. That's what submission is. And if you think about it, selfishness is the beginning of all sin. It's the beginning of, of all evil. Selfishness. Selfish, selfish motives, desires, agendas, right? Jesus modeled unselfishness when he came to the earth. He unselfishly gave himself at the cross for us to begin a loving relationship with the Father. Unselfishness is what makes our relationships work. Unselfishness is what makes our relationship with God work, right? And the motivation of unselfishness, Paul says, is out of reverence for Christ. And another, and another version, it says, out of fear of the Lord. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And praise the Lord, we need wisdom in relationships, don't we? <laughs> oh no, I do. We all do. <laughs> so after, after Paul sets this instruction as the basis of all relationships, he continues and starts with the relationship of marriage. Right, This section is where the Bible talks most about marriage. It talks about most about the, this marriage relationship. It's the place that explains the most clear attitudes and behaviors and how you should conduct yourself towards one another. I'll read the whole section and provide you, and then I'll prov to provide you overall context, and then I'll, I'll break it down, okay? So Ephesians 5, 33, I'm reading from CSB. I love the CSB. It's, a, it's only a couple of years old, but um, as many scholars have written, written this, and I, I really relate to it when I read it, can understand it. So wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Uh, he's the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to, are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, 
since we are members of his body, uh, since we are members of his body, for this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each of you, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect the husband. Hopefully not too many triggers there, but we'll try to get through it, okay? See, Paul, when he was writing this, in his time, he was limited to the strong male-dominated cultural understanding of things. And, 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 you know, what he was writing was completely unheard of at the time, completely unheard of. Nobody had ever heard this concept. Nobody, right? And, and Paul, he carefully, he carefully, carefully describes the relationship of marriage between a husband and wife and uses the example of the relationship of Christ and the church so that there is no error, all right? Because we all know error is very easy, especially in relationships, right? But yet, for centuries, both Christians, non-Christians, have misinterpreted the the scripture by saying, women need to submit and do whatever the male wants, and that's it. For centuries, that's what Christians, not Christians, non-Christians have said. I mean, a lot of us, if we grew up in the olden times, I saw some of it. It was very dominated, very, very strong, very, very strong. And, uh, you know, we won't go there. <laughs> not, not, it hadn't, it didn't, there was no teaching, no, no, no education about men sacrificing, nothing about mutual respect and love. The scripture for centuries has been completely misapplied mainly because of selfishness, which is the complete opposite of submission. And we know humans, those in power, whether you're in a religious or non-religious setting, those with power like to abuse their power. And we, we saw that. And actually, uh, uh, um, the Bible was written in Latin up, up, only up until 100 or so years ago, so nobody really understood the Latin language and had to be read by a priest. So there you go. So we see so much brokenness because of this misapplication, so much abuse in this area that the, that in our society in both Christian and non-Christian homes. And because it's such a sensitive topic and it's like, and because of the culture that we're in right now, people shy away from talking about the truth in marriage, afraid that the Bible is not relevant. You hear comments like, well, the Bible is oppressive or the Bible is for an ancient culture. It's got nothing to do with us now. You know, especially that part. I'll take the good parts. I've heard that many times. <laughs> the, the, the Bible's not relevant for today's culture. Well, I'm here to help you with that, right? Because the Bible is applied for everything. That couldn't be further away from the truth. It's a misrepresentation, a misapplication of scriptures that has got Christianity into trouble. The reality is that humans have tampered with the truth of selfish gain or advantage. But God's word is complete and absolute truth. We don't need to be afraid to talk the truth. The Bible says that the whole truth will set you free from any kind of deception and bondage. The word will grow you, teach you, and guide you, mature you. And you know what? It's our role as teachers of the word of God to teach you, to show you the truth. It's our role to go and study the scriptures, which I know the preachers that come here do, to study the Word of God, to pray, ask the Holy Spirit, get the guidance from the Holy Spirit, and preach the Word of God with, the, with fear and trembling in their hearts. 
And the reason why we do that is so that you can grow. Christians need to know how to live. They need to be, they need to be taught how to live. We all need to be taught how to live. And it's our responsibility to teach you. Not that we're perfect. Not that we've got it all together. But hey, we're all on this journey together, right? God's just put me here to preach. But I, I can also sit there and I'm like you. We're all equal, right? We've all got roles in the church. And as you grow in your understanding, your love for God grows, like I said before, Philippians 1.9. So coming back to marriage relationships, sorry. Let's look at the history and put things into perspective, okay? Let's look at why Paul was writing this and, and why Paul focused a little bit on marriage and, re- and created that relationship to ensure there's no error. See, when Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, the world was in an absolute mess, complete mess. In a Jewish home, there was supposed to be a God-fearing home. Women were regarded as possessions rather than partners, right? And we see that in cultures today still too. A Jewish man could divorce the wife at the drop of a hat. You know, they, they, they say it's written in, in, uh, in, in books that just the wife putting too much salt in the food, that was grounds for divorce. Far out. Mate, crazy, hey? And they were meant to be God-fearing people. They were meant to be the ones, you know, living out the word of God, right? In the Greek home, women were totally secluded. secluded sorry. Fathers were often dictators over their children, and prostitution was just a normal part of the culture as a way of men getting their needs satisfied. In the Roman culture, divorce, this was all back in that time, right? I mean, still get elements of that today. In Roman culture, divorce was very, very common. Women often dated uh, they, they, they dated their age by the number of marriages they had. So, for example, if they were 25, by 25, they normally already had 25 marriages. That, that's how it was back in that Roman culture. It was just normal. You know, there are records of eight to ten husbands in five years. You know, there, there are records of, you know, a, a 23rd husband marrying a 21st wife. It was that common divorce, right? All the cultures around the world, they were a total mess. And Jesus comes in there. He lands at that time a complete mess, complete mess. See, Jesus came into the world and he taught people the truth about what marriage was supposed to be. He taught the truth about who men really are and who women really are. He began to raise the standard. He did. Jesus did. Jesus raised the standard. And those who followed him began to change the world. The world's still in complete mess and many cultures are, you know, when it comes to relationships, many cultures are in a complete mess. But the truth did change marriage in a Christian home. It changed the views and the, the truth of what a Christian home was supposed to look like. And those that followed the Lord with mind, heart and strength would, would glorify him in their household. So why did Jesus raise these standards? Why did he come here to raise these standards? And I'm just speaking the truth because it's important that we know the foundation. See, he raised these standards because he values all people, men and women. He values all people. In fact, if anyone in history has ever elevated women or equaled women, it was Jesus. Not politicians. It was Jesus, all right? In Christ, there is no Jew, no Gentile. No male. All are one. All are valued in Christ. Christ came into the world to show that he valued 
everyone who became a child of God. He values all people. And, and his heart is that everybody becomes a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he also came to establish truth and order in a chaotic world to those that listened and those that believed. Okay, so we'll break, it, we'll break the scripture down into three parts, all right? Ephesians 5, 24, the first part. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. See, this order, that, this order God established the husband and the leaders, as the leader of the home, it doesn't imply that women are in any way inferior to a, to a male. Or it doesn't imply that a man is superior to a female. It doesn't say that at all. We can see how it can be easily mis- misinterpreted. See, just because the wife needs to submit to the husband, it doesn't mean that the husband needs to overpower the wife. It doesn't mean that. For example, in the same way in a church, the Bible calls for leaders and for believers in the church to submit to the leaders. But that doesn't mean that the leaders lord it over the people, right? Jesus never took advantage of submission. And we are called to never take advantage of submission. See, like the body of Christ has different roles, both husbands and wives have roles in the marriage because God is a God of order. Somebody had to lead. And fortunately or unfortunately for some, God chose the husband to lead. But it was never about dominance or control or lording it over another. That belief comes from the root of selfishness. And it's important that we speak the truth because it eliminates any gray areas, right? It's very important because we're a Bible-believing church. We speak the truth. And it's important that the church knows the truth so that we can live out a godly life and transformed life and love the Lord our God with all of our heart. No gray areas. Amen. Instead, husbands and wives are to unselfishly respect the other. Remember what I was saying about submit? What it means? Unselfishness? Just like Christ in the church. So the wife is not to submit by relinquishing I'm writing so many hard words, it's really difficult. So the wife is not to submit by relinquishing all control of her whole life, of her whole personality, giving up all of her rights, all of her gifts and her talents to be under the domination and control of the husband. Okay, let's make that very clear, okay? So we need a reference point, don't we, in life. It's very, very important, very, very important. Because Christ, the Christ truth is very different to the way a lot of people live. But instead, the wife is to imitate. See, this is why Paul has that parallel of Christ in the church and the husband and the wife. So it's easier to understand. The wife is to imitate the way the church loves Christ by loving the husband and respecting the role God has assigned to the husband to be the head of the home. Just like the church respects Christ as the head of the church. He doesn't lord it over anybody. He doesn't dominate and control anybody. He just loves Loves, and that love compels us. And if wives are to imitate the relationship between the church and Christ with unselfish respect, then husbands are to imitate the way Christ loves the church by sacrificing himself with unselfish love. Ephesians 5, 25 to 30. Husbands, 
love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water of the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of the body. See, this divine love goes beyond loving a wife in just a sexual way. This divine love sacrifices its own selfishness for the ones it loves. The word love that Paul uses in this scripture, he uses an original Greek word, which is written agape love, which translates back to English. <laughs> so funny because love, we say love, but in the Greek, uh, Greek language, there's, I think, four different types of loves. But, so if you translate it back, it means an unconditional, sacrificial, self-emptying love that God modeled through Jesus. The husband is called to lead the wife and help her become Christ-like by modeling the word of truth, not dominating, going, you need to be, by modeling the word of truth, right? Through his unselfish actions, just like Jesus modeled this to the church. When a man models this kind of love in the home, they represent the love of the heavenly father, not just in the home, but to all people, giving glory to God. Powerful. Ephesians 5, 31, 33. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. The husband and the wife are no longer two, but one. And, the, you know, it's very hard to comprehend because they're like two bodies. How does that work? That's an offer, Zeli. It's with two bodies. But Paul explains it better to help us understand this a little bit better when he talks about Christ and his church becoming one mind, one heart, one spirit. So it becomes a little bit easier to understand when you're talking about a marriage. Marriage then becomes fully and properly understood when Paul explains it, when he explains it in the parallel with Christ and his church. So uh, we live out this marriage. We live out a godly marriage, Right? The way God designed it, showing mutual love and respect so that we can glorify God in everything. So that when people look at our marriages, look at our lives, brings glory to God. So good. So next, Paul looks at the family relationship. It's a time. Okay, I'll try to be quick. And namely the parent and the child relationship. So husbands make the unselfish choice to sacrifice. So remember that the first, how Paul set it up, he said, submit to one another in reverence for Christ. So be unselfish. husbands make unselfish choice to sacrifice. Wives make the unselfish choice to respect. Now the child makes the unselfish choice to obey and honor their parents. And the parents make the unselfish choice to nurture their children. So submission is the very foundation of all relationships. Unselfishness. So once again, the submission and reverence of Christ is, is what trans, it, it comes from a transformed life. The way, the way we can be unselfish, we can't do this without God. Don't kid yourselves. 
There's no way. We're going to get it wrong. And I'm sure we got it wrong. Maybe even this morning you got it wrong. Who knows? But hey, we need God. Thank God that he forgives us. Thank God. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. But he's referring to fathers and mothers in your children. But bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See, children are to obey their parents as long as it's not conflicting to the word of God, right? I mean, if your parent goes, hey, go rob the bank for me. I mean, you're not going to do it. It's conflicting to the word of God. You're not going to do that. But anything else that's not conflicting. So, and, and adult children who are financially independent, they no longer need to obey because they're no longer under the household, but they are still to honor. Because when you leave the home, it's a new headship. When you leave the home, it's now God, Christ. When you're under your parents' care, your parents were leading you and guiding you, instructing you and helping you in the way that you need to go. So you no longer need to obey the household demands. You now honor. And part of that honoring, whether they are believers or not, is to take care of them in their old age. There was no superannuation back then. None of that was there, right? And uh, we, we've got it easy as, as children. In, in Australia, I mean, if you, can't, if you can't afford it, then the tax man or the government will pay. That's okay. But, mate, back then, there's no such thing. They were taking the tax man, but they weren't giving back, Right? So children are to honor their parents. And if your parents abandoned you or even mistreated you when you were a child in any way, and and whether they deserve it or not, honor them. Do you know why? As reverence to God. You honor your parents regardless of what they've done with you, regardless of how they've abandoned you, regardless of what they've done, how they've hurt you, whatever. Honor them out of reverence to God, not because they deserve it, right? Right? Honor them. It pleases him. And it gives glory to God when you honor them in that way. And if they passed away and you don't have the opportunity to honor them, at least forgive them. Let them go. Commit them to God. And commit your pain to the Lord. Parents, don't stir up your kids in anger. Don't make unreasonable demands. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Don't, don't lay down on the couch. Go give me a biscuit. <laughs> Maybe if you're tired. Johnny, if you're listening, <clears throat> when I get home, you know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, don't, children, children that get overwhelmed with unre- unreasonable demands, guess what happens? They end up rebelling. They end up walking away. Right? It usually leads to, go- to godlessness. Parents, Be tender-hearted, compassionate, be considerate. Remember that you were a kid too. Huh? Huh? Yeah? Remember. Don't forget. You weren't always an adult, right? No matter how old you are. (laughs) Train your children. Instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Our responsibility is to teach them about God. That's our responsibility. Model a relationship with Jesus. Let your life back up your faith. Be integral in your words and your actions. And if you get it wrong, admit fault. Ask for forgiveness. I reckon I get it wrong every day. 
But it's good that you admit fault because they see that, that you don't need to be perfect, right? You're still part of the, the instructions and the training. Next, last one. Whew. Paul looks at the working relationship, all right? Ephesians 6, 5 to 9. Okay, be good to me. Slaves, obey, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched. <laughs> I bet you guys are all thinking about that. Don't work only when you're being watched, all right? As people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord, thank God. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours in heaven and, and, and there is no favoritism with him. See, let's read that, but first let's not get distracted with that word slavery, okay? Because that, that's a little bit distracting sometimes when you read it and it just blurs the next few, few verses. See, Paul's not promoting slavery in this, okay? Actually, the Bible condemns slavery, forced slavery, kidnapping. The Bible condemns that. See, but Paul's talking to a first century era. And many people that needed to get out of debt will actually sell themselves into slavery to pay off their debt, right? And in the Roman world, nearly half the people walking around the streets were slaves, but they dressed normal. You couldn't even tell. A lot of the slaves were actually doctors, lawyers, they were professionals, right? So he's addressing these guys. Slaves were allowed to earn money, right? That's not the slaves that we think. They had some rights, not like kidnapping or forceful, slaver, uh, forceful slavery. That mainly happened from the 18th century onwards, okay? Where, you know, mainly Africa and South American countries and, other, and Asian countries and other countries like that were forced and kidnapped. But let that not distract you, and hopefully that removed some distraction from you. But there's an important principle here. There are a few important principles here. Paul is saying, believer, you are to glorify God in your service, in everything you do. Serve your employer like you are serving the Lord yourself, or himself, sorry. Serve your employer like you're serving the Lord himself. Have a good attitude about it. Work like you're working for Jesus. Don't turn the corner. Is he? Yeah. Probably shouldn't have done this to my son, but a few weeks ago, yeah, one unreasonable. A few weeks ago, my parents are renovating their home. Um, so when I, when I was 12, I, my dad was a roof tiler. So when I was 12, every Saturday, I would go on the roofs with my dad. Probably the worst thing that a child could ever do. But he taught me. And I learned work, work ethic every Saturday. He used to give me the old paper $100 note. I used to go out there. It was great. I learned work ethic. Um, anyway, I, so I, whenever there's an opportunity, I'll take my son and we'll, we'll do some work. So we're doing demolition. And he sits down and, uh, and I said, hey, what's wrong? After a couple of hours of working, he goes, oh, I'm tired. I go, son, don't ever let anyone catch you bludging. If you're going to bludge, take off your boot and say you've got a rock in your shoe. <laughs> Oh, no. And I said, stand up to your feet. And I, I was mucking around. I mean, I told him I was mucking around. Hopefully he didn't. Um, anyway, <laughs> mucking around. And anyway, uh, he's standing around, walking around. I said, look, don't just walk around and flap your hands. If you're going to stand there, 
put a shovel, get a shovel or a broom. At least make it look like you're doing something. <laughs> um, sure enough, a couple of hours later, he, he did it. <laughs> but yeah, but don't hide. <laughs> don't pretend. Workers are doing it for the Lord. That was only a joke, all right? That's not truth, okay? <laughs> but I, that, I actually did do that, mucking around with him. <laughs> oh, no. Um, what I was up to. So your boss, your boss shouldn't be checking up on you, right? Especially Christians that know the truth, right? We should be giving glory to God, just that. I love John Rumi's story. You know, he's always talking about the employer and, and, and how they, they, they see him and regard him. They've even gave him a, an, an award. But I love that, man, that he just gives glory to God, honors God, regardless of what position or what you need to do. It is what it is. You're a Christian. Come on. Serve in the fear of the Lord, in sincerity. Sincerity, another long word. And fear of Christ, reverence of Christ. Employers, treat your employers, employees with respect. Don't threaten them in any way. Treat them like a brother or sister in Christ. Because we both, you, you, we both know that you have a God that shows no favoritism. God doesn't show favoritism if you're an employer, employee, master, slave. He is not a respecter of title or position. God is the judge for both free, both free and slave. I said both. And my, my son laughs at me. So what's wrong, man? It sounds the same. I said B-A-F, not B-A-T-H. It sounds the same. Both, both, both. Anyway, God is the judge of both free and slave, employee and employer. He does not favor one over the other. He will judge each person by how they obeyed him and his overflowing love has been revealed in their attitude towards others. That's how he's going to judge you. Christ gives worth and dignity to every human being, whether employer, employee, so that there is neither, like the Bible said, neither Jew nor Greek nor slave, male or female. We are all, in Christ, all one in Christ. There is no upper class. There is no lower class. We hear that sometimes in the news. Upper class, lower class. No, not, none of that here. We are all equal before God. We are all equal. We were we born naked. We're going to die naked. Go into a grave. Oh, okay, maybe have a nice outfit. It's going to rot away eventually. In fact, in the church, the master, Jesus, washes the feet of the disciples. Come on. Revolutionary in the first century. And you know what? Revolutionary even today. I don't see any employer washing the, the feet of an employee. No one's putting up their hands. <laughs> Crazy. It's a completely different way of thinking, a transformed life. So what has Paul been saying in these last few chapters? To love, to, the love of God produces an inner power of transformation in a person. And from the inside out, it grows you, it transforms you from the inside out. A love of God that strengthens you. A love of God that empowers you. A love of God that strengthens an inner being and helps it to be stable, uncompromising in your faith, uncompromising in the truth and the love of God. Impacting every area of our lives. His transformational power, it impacts interactions, impacts relationships, impacts decisions, 
It impacts everything in our life. Part of that demonstration is that wives give themselves to their husbands in leadership. Husbands give their wives in a self-sacrificial love. Children honor and obey their parents. Parents point, out, point their children to Christ, instruct them in the Lord, teach them obedience and discipline them. Employees, serve your employer as you would to the Lord. Employers, remember that you are not the true master. There is one master above you. We are all equal before God. We are called to follow God in every area of our, of our life. We can't do this on our own. We need to depend on him. Depend on him for that inner strength to carry out the call of God in our lives. Connect with his perfect love and now allow him to transform our lives to be Christ-like in all we do. Loving God with all of our heart, mind, strength and loving people in an unselfish way. Amen. Praise the Lord. That was a long one. I hope you got a lot out of that. Would you bow your head and reflect on his word as I pray with you right now? Thank you, Father. Can I ask the band to come up as well? Thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word, Father. We thank you for the word of truth today. We thank you, Father God, for your instruction. Man, we need instruction from the Lord. We need your instruction, God. And the world around us is constantly filling us with other instructions. But Lord, we thank you that you can give us instruction. Father, we, we can't live a godly life on our own, Lord. We need you. We ask you for your power and strength in our inner being. Help us to encounter your perfect love in every hour of our lives. Open the eyes of our hearts to understand how wide, how high, how deep your love really is. Let us be completely transformed by the power of your love. Let us be transformed to the way that we speak to people, interact with people, even interact with you. Let us be completely transformed in our relationships, in our home, in our work, in our church. Let us exalt you and glorify your name, Lord, in everything that we do. We invite you, Holy Spirit, into our lives to lead us and guide us into all truth. Help us to be the church, Lord, that you've called us to be. One that can show your love. One that can receive your love. One can be transformed by your love and show the love of God to the community around us, glorifying your name in all that we do. Help us to be that shining light in the community, Father. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God. And if there's anyone right now that's not having or hasn't had a loving relationship with God until now, or you've been away from God for a while, and you'd like to reconnect with Him, let, let me pray with you. Would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I believe you are Lord, and you are Lord over my life. Forgive my past. Teach me how to love you, and teach me how to love others. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you.